This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is Wednesday, December 26, 2018. That is the last show of the year, and I have a special guest for that, of course. Uh, my guest is Andre Degler. Um, Andre writes for tech.eu which uh will tell you'll tell us a little more about uh, at the end of the show yeah uh and you have worked also for engadget you've written for them for a while uh, in the past and so you are pretty connected in the mobile space and i i thought it'd be really interesting to have a conversation today about what we expect to see in 2019 in terms of tech in terms of trends uh especially on the mobile front what is what is the thing you expect to be very popular next year. Okay. Uh, my general prediction, I think, and that's also prediction and hope at the same time, is that we are going to see more weird stuff. And I don't really want to sound like an old man, but uh, I do sometimes miss uh, the 2000s and all the tons of weird phones uh, that uh, were coming uh, coming up back then. And that's uh, that's also when I used to write a lot about phones. And I do see that right now it's something that's also happening in the industry. And that comes from foldable phones, uh, all these uh, new selfie uh, cameras that uh, are just holes in the phones and stuff like that. Everything. Yeah, I, look, I think form factors are really interesting right now. Let's, so let's let's dive into that a little more. Like you've we've seen some interesting form factors this year, right? Yep. Again, the 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 kind of trend and the goal has been to do a full screen phone, right? With zero, you know, zero notches, zero holes, zero um, bezel, basically full screen covering the entire front of the phone, maximum display, minimum packaging. Yeah, um, and I think some phones have come close, but to achieve that. There are, you know, some interesting concepts have been taken. So uh, going through them really quickly, there's been slider phones, like uh, the motorized Oppo Find X, mm -hmm. like the um, uh, Mi Mix 3, uh, like the Honor Magic 2. Uh, they've been phones uh, with a pop-up uh, selfie camera, like the Vivo Next S. Uh, they've been phones with dual displays. Uh, like the ZT Nubia X, I think. Uh, and that, that, you know, basically where there's no front camera, you use the back display uh, with the main camera for taking selfies. And then there is, of course, been the latest, latest, latest trend, which has started with the Galaxy uh, 8, A8S from Samsung and continued with the Nova 4 from Huawei and the View 20 from uh, honor which is to punch a little hole through the display for the front facing camera and of course there's strong rumors that the galaxy s10 next year and note 10 will have a similar display so do you think we're going to see yet another form factor to add to that or or what do you think is going to happen i mean first of all let's face it the hole looks much better than the notch I agree. 100%. Can we agree on that? <laughs> yeah, I think I th I'm really looking forward to these displays with the hole punch, punch hole, whatever you want to call them. Um, because honestly, um, I'm, I'm actually excited that we're seeing mid-range phones like the Nova 4 and the Galaxy A8s. Because obviously the View 20 is going to be Honor's flagship for the short term future. And I wouldn't be surprised if Huawei obviously does this with the P30 and 
and the Mate 30 next year, and and maybe the Mate 30 will be a full, complete full screen display. Maybe they'll they'll surprise us with something else. Um, I'm th- I'm calling it now, and this is my first prediction. We're going to see a lot of phones with with the punch hole, hole punch, whatever you want to call it, the hole through the display with the front cam- camera behind it. And I agree with you; it looks better. But my other prediction, and I want to hear your take on this, is that we're going to get the next evolution of that on one of the flagships this year, uh, possibly in the later part of the year, like maybe the Mate 30. And what it's going to be is the hole punch, punch hole, whatever, but the the display is actually on on top of the camera. So what I'm saying is that the OLED will go black in an area and the camera is behind that OLED and will take the picture through the actual OLED screen. And, you know, kind of like the current uh, in-display fingerprint readers, the optical ones from OnePlus and from uh, Huawei on the 6T and the Mate 20 Pro, where there's actually a part underneath the OLED that has the sensor. And if you look carefully on the screen you can, and shine a light through the screen, you can actually kind of see the sensor a little bit. So I'm thinking something like that with a front camera where the camera has maybe more sensitive uh, sensor and a faster f-stop to compensate for the fact that it's really a, a neutral density filter you're putting in front of the camera. Uh, so you're reducing the amount of light it can gather. But that the display would be a full screen display with no visible hole until you take a photo with the front camera where that little circle would go black because the OLED would go black in that spot. The t- p- picture gets taken and, and processed. That is my prediction. Great. This, uh, this sounds absolutely great. And actually, I do believe it. I, I do believe it. I do agree with it. And I think, uh, you know what? There is one big problem that this thing is going to solve. And the problem is when you take a selfie and people who don't know your phone would just awkwardly look into a wrong corner. Exactly. Then you, can, you can put the camera in the actual middle of the screen, right? And yeah, then everybody yeah. would just ref- like by reflex look into the middle of the screen and all the selfies will come out perfect. Yeah, and so that's kind of what I'm getting to. I think this is going to be a really interesting alternative to you know what we're seeing now. And the the challenge behind that will be to make a, you know as little loss of light through that display possible as possible. Yeah. And that will require more sensitive sensors and faster f-stops on the front facing camera. But we've already seen front facing cameras as f over 1.7, f over 1.8. Um, you know, we know that f one5 is currently the state of the art um, for uh, cameras in the front, in the rear, I mean, like with the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So why not make an f one5 front camera that has larger pixels, like maybe 1.5 micron or even 2 micron pixels? It doesn't have to be super high res, maybe cap it to 6, 7 megapixels, 8 megapixels at most, and have large sensor array. And especially if you can hide the size of the sensor, right? with the display, then you can make that, that hole bigger when you in software when you activate it, basically. Um, so I, I'm hoping that we're going to see something like that from one of the big players. Um, and then yeah, it sounds, really, sounds very viable. And, and then we'll have a really a full display phone that has no moving parts, that doesn't have a secondary screen or some slider or something. Yeah, that's my take. Um, but Perfect. the notch, I think, is going to continue as well. I think we're going to see more teardrop notches on the mid-range and low-end. Like um, OnePlus, uh, OnePlus did, right? 
Yeah, like OnePlus did, like Vivo did with the V11, like we've seen, you know, uh, uh, the the Mate 20, regular Mate 20 and Mate 20X. I think I think that's also a viable thing. It's certainly more aesthetically pleasing than the big notches we're seeing on some of these devices. So for sure, I'm excited about this full screen thing we're going to see. But but here's one thing that I want, and, and and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Have you noticed that only Apple so far has managed to make a phone? That has whether it's IPS or or OLED that doesn't have a chin at all, like a tiny little. Like you look at all the other phones that are quote unquote full screen displays and have a, maybe have a notch, but the bottom part of the display always has a bit of a chin, because that's where they have to fold the you know the electronics for the um, driving the display. And Apple has obviously made a custom OLED since the iPhone 10 that doesn't have that bottom border or bottom chin. And and they've managed to achieve that with the uh, 10R, which is kind of amazing. But even look at the, the Huawei Mate 20 Pro. It has a tiny little bit, it has a bit more bezel at the bottom edge. And so I'm really, really hoping that somebody will impress us this year by doing this right. Hopefully Samsung. Yeah, I mean, for, from what we've seen so far, uh, whenever, even if Apple is the first to achieve a certain certain thing in uh, in terms of uh, how the phone is built, one way or the other, the the Chinese companies, the Korean companies will uh, basically catch up uh, real soon. So I do I do think we're gonna see we're gonna see chinless uh, phones really soon next year. It's not it's not that actually it bothers me honestly though. I'm totally fine with a small chin. I mean, I'm not. It doesn't bother me either, but I, f I find it if odd that we're a year and a half after Apple's done it first and nobody's managed to copy that yet. Also, if I have to choose between a chin and a 3.5 millimeter jack, I would go for the latter. I agree. Aha. <laughs> we're going to have a discussion about that in a minute. But <laughs> I think that um, I, I, I feel like, you know, this... We're very close to 100%, well, not 100%, but 99% because it's still going to need some sort of border at some point uh, to contain the display at this point. But 99% as a screen ratio with no chin, no hole. I mean, maybe just an, a punch hole um, and no notch. And and I think that, you know, a lot of people have asked me, but Miriam, where do you put the earpiece? And if you look at how the Essential phone did it, if you look at how the, uh, you know, a lot of phones are doing, the OnePlus 6T, you know, you can embed that 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 um, that uh, speaker in the in the in the metal frame around the display. Um, just all you need is a tiny little half millimeter slit. And in terms of height, and then maybe you'll have it about five millimeters, centimeter long, and then you, you get your earpiece. Uh, the other alternative is Piezo, where the entire display vibrates. Mm. Um, and then you put it, it, you can't hear anything unless you put it to your ear, and then it vibrates via bone conduction, right? Um, some companies have done that. Um, this sounds very I, futuristic, I have to no, say. No, it's actually not futuristic. There's a few phones out there with that feature already, uh, Chinese phones, but even rewind even further. Do you remember? Uh, what the first kind of quote-unquote bezel-less phone was in the sense that it had three sides that were bezel-less and one side that wasn't. You're probably going to say Xiaomi Mi Mix original, hmm. and you're probably right. headed in the right direction. But you can rewind even before that. Sharp in Japan made a series of phones that had a basically one or two millimeter edge on the left, right, and top, and then had a relatively large chin at the bottom that contained the front-facing camera. And 
one of these came to the US as a mid-range phone on Sprint called the Aquos Crystal. This is back in 2014. And Kyocera, you know, um, they've actually pioneered this, this, um, this piezo speaker technology. They had it in one of their Android phones as far back as 2011 or 12. I remember going to CTIA when I worked at Engadget in New Orleans and having a prototype demo from Kyocera of a phone that you had a snow speaker and when you held it, you couldn't hear anything until you tapped it to your ear and then it would, you know, work through bone conduction. It wasn't very good at the time. And granted the Sharp Aquos, you know, whatever it was, the, the Sprint mid-range phone 2014 didn't really sound that great either. But I think that I haven't heard the, the newer ones that the Chinese manufacturers have made this year, but I, I think that technology's probably improved and we're probably going to get to a point where that technology is viable, you know? Yeah, that's a that sounds uh, that sounds viable already. I guess uh, if it did if it did happen before, I'm not sure Kyocera is still making any phones. They make they made CDMA phones, right? Mostly. Yeah, I think they're still like making CDMA some cheap phones for the U.S. market. Um, we we don't get them sure. in Europe. Oh, never in Europe. No, no, they 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 were pretty much uh, a U.S. only thing, mostly through Sprint. In fact, um, so. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. But honestly, I feel like my first proposition, having the slit in the metal frame right above the actual glass of the display uh, in that tiny little microscopic top bezel would be the probably the better approach. It's probably easier to do that. And and I'm actually surprised that a phone like, uh, what is it? The, uh, the Magic 2, the Honor Magic 2, you actually have to open it because the speaker is in the slider. Like I'm surprised I didn't put it in the edge of the um, of the the rim, right? Instead of putting it in the slider like they did. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And yeah, it does uh, it does sound uh, more doable putting the uh, putting the uh, speaker into the into the frame because it's more like an iterative thing to do, right? Just like making something better, squeezing something into a certain space rather than going for the whole uh, bone conducting uh, uh, tech. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens on the display front. Uh, of course, yeah, we're going to see. I'm very excited about that. We might see a folding phone from Samsung. I mean, they've shown a prototype finally. Uh, well, they've shown many prototypes of the year, but they seem to be more serious about showing a prototype at the Dev Conference back in October, November. And it was, um, you know, there was support for Android announced by Google at the same time. So I think one of them, or maybe Huawei and Samsung, both will have some sort of folding phone. What's your take on those phones? I'm not too excited about this. So folding phones, I do believe they will arrive, of course. I mean, it could still be a flop, but I do believe that we will see something at the price point of, what is it, uh, 1770 American dollars, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, it's, they're going to be expensive. We're going to talk yeah. about phones that cost between 1500 and 2000 US dollars. Yeah, I'm not... I'm not sure if there is that big of a market for, for, for this kind of thing. I mean, I guess most people, myself included, are pretty happy with uh, whatever's in between five and uh, six inches, even, even below that. And having the, the foldable design is not 
I don't know. I, I, I'm not sold yet. I'm just not sold yet. But I mean, the, the nerd in me, of course, wants to play with it, wants to have it. And uh, I do hope that I will be able to get my hands on it. But as a mass product rather than a niche product, I'm not I'm not sold. Yeah, neither am I. And, and I think, you know, of course, the nerd in me wants to see it and try it. And I mean, that I think that's that's kind of a given, right? Like, I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> I, I think yep. if you're a nerd, you're, you want to going to see this thing, whether you're going to want to own it or buy it or even use it is a different story, because I feel like if you remember the, the, the Galaxy Note Edge, you know, that was the first with a display, you know, water falling on the side mm -hmm. of the phone, you know, the Edge obviously was a lot bigger than the the dual edges on the modern phone, the infinity display that we have on the uh, on the Galaxies now, because they quickly realized that using that Edge, nobody really cared about. But uh, making a phone that almost looks edgeless on left and right, uh, using that same technology of a curved uh, OLED or, or, you know, uh, basically an OLED display that, that isn't flat, um, is, a, is an interesting solution. And they've done that and they've differentiated design-wise aesthetically by doing that. So I think that, you know, that's the, how that technology evolved. And, and I'm thinking that's what's going to happen with the folding phones. The first two or three years of it or two years of it are going to be very awkward is what I'm expecting. <laughs> you know, just that's, that's my take. But mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, what, what, what I, the way I am seeing it is that we're talking about two different subsets of uh, double screen phones. We have uh, the ones with, uh, uh, with a normal form factor that has a screen on top and down the bottom. And on the other hand, we have the foldable, foldable phones that basically also have two screens, but uh, they can be folded into one. So, I mean, one way or the other, I think one of this is going to stick. Yeah. I'm not sure if both will. Yeah, I don't know either. You're right. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, it's a little murkier for me to kind of predict this and my pretty confident thoughts on removing the notches and the hole punches or rather keeping them and covering them up. Um, I, I think that, I mean, look, it's going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. That's really all I can say at this point. Um, Oh, and also, by the way, when we unfold this phone, so we basically get an Android tablet. I'm not sure yeah. that Android has been that great with tablets so far. I haven't used an Android tablet in years. I'm not, are they still a thing? Are they actually no. any good? No, they're not. I mean, some people here, some listeners will probably be mad at me for saying this. And I don't care because I've always thought Android tablets were terrible. They've never been good. They, they've been attempts to make them better, but it's never stuck. I mean, certainly Samsung makes some very nice tablets. They're very competitive in terms of hardware with the iPad uh, and iPad Pro. But at the same time, although the, the latest iPad Pro has pretty much trumped everything else in the business in terms of, of um, hardware, in my opinion. But I'm sure Samsung will catch up. And the software, though, is always what leaves it down. Like, I mean, you, can't, you can make a beautiful Samsung. It shows that, obviously with their current set of tabs, but you can make a beautiful Samsung tablet, I mean, Android tablet, and Samsung does, but the software experience is terrible. It always is this, because there's no, there's no ecosystem of tablet-optimized apps, and, and I, you know, iPad still suffers from that. You know, Instagram on iPad is still not a tablet-optimized experience, but that's the minority of the apps on iPad, I think, in terms of, like, popular apps. 
And I think the iPad does have that kind of in-between tablet-optimized ecosystem that is lacking on Android. And I know Google's tried really hard several times. There was the Pixel C tablet. Currently, you know, they're trying to, you know, redo it with Chrome OS and the, the Pixel Slate, which has been a complete, you know, uh, dud. And I think a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, some software that's not very optimized on the Slate, which is, I think is the biggest issue. But, but you know, if you, run, if you want to run Chrome OS like they're doing on the Slate, uh, then you know you need large, you need you need a device that's more versatile and can be a two in one because Chrome OS works best with a keyboard and trackpad, and then you know Android becomes kind of like a sidekick, right? Because yeah, you can run Android apps, but that's not the main purpose. Yeah, Whereas yeah. a phone like this is going to be a phone evolved into a tablet, which basically means that the only thing I expect us to be able to do, Andre, is have two apps side by side on that phone, like you know. <laughs> Basically, be able to emulate two displays at the same time, but they're joined, right? That's it. Yeah, that's about it. I, I do agree. That's about it. And I, I would say that right now, Microsoft with uh, its uh, Surface devices and stuff has a much better chance at uh, making a good tablet-like device rather than uh, any uh, Android vendors. I agree. And, you know, I don't want to knock the idea of putting two apps side by side on a device. I mean, that can be very productivity wise could be very helpful I, i'm not saying that it's a bad idea i'm just saying that anybody who expects this device to transform magically from a good experience phone-like experience like what we used today to today uh, and then switch to a tablet experience there is no tablet experience for android that's no. what i'm trying to say so what we're going to see is maybe dual phone real estate triple phone real estate like it's a, in terms of running two or three apps side by side that I can see. I think that is a viable thing. Whether it's you know worth the extra cost and bulk and battery life and other constraints, I'm not convinced. You know, at least initially. I'm still I'm still very uh, curious to see uh, what comes out. Yeah, I mean, I think anyone who's in tech like us yeah, yeah. Uh, is a nerd, <laughs> is an early adopter, is a tech savvy folk, is going to be into it, and I'm looking forward to it too. So we've covered displays quite a bit. Let's, uh, you mentioned the headphone jack earlier. Let's talk about that a little bit. I fear that for better or for worse, and, and I think it's for worse, uh, the headphone jack is going away very rapidly and we're done now. I feel that OnePlus throwing in the towel uh, with the OnePlus 60 and removing the headphone jack from that phone was the, to me, that's a lot of people are going to say, well, Apple doing it was the pivot point. Uh, some people are going to say, you know, uh, Huawei doing it or, uh, you know, others doing it is the turning point. I think OnePlus doing it is the turning point, in my opinion. Uh, you could also argue that some of the Galaxy A models don't have a headphone jack, correct? Do you know which mm -hmm. ones? Because they're not very popular no. in the US. No, no not, not really. I don't really see that, uh, that many of them around either. Um, I'm hearing that the A8 non-S has no headphone jack and that the A8S has a headphone jack. Um, please fact check us on this, listeners. Let me know. Tweet at me. Let me know what, what, whether that is correct or not. I'm not sure. That's what I read somewhere. And uh, I didn't check it because it's not really that important to me because I probably will not have a Galaxy A device to play with at any point, sadly. But... If Samsung's trying to do it on the A series, you know, I'm pretty sure we're still going to see the headphone jack on the 10, uh, S10, mm -hmm. but we might not either. And 
And I'm pretty sure LG will stick with it for a little longer because it's for them a big selling point. Um, or they could throw up their arms in the air like One OnePlus did and completely drop the headphone jack on future LG phones and call it a day since, you know, they're not doing so hot right now. And look, HTC threw the, one of their best assets at the time, which was headphone jack, sound quality, high quality headphone amps and DACs. They threw out, they, they were one of the early ones to throw it out the window in, an, in a way to kind of differentiate. And that certainly did not help their cause. Not that they were going to be doing any better anytime soon. So <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. But I'm, 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 there's a bunch of articles and Gadget just uh, published a story written by Dehindra um, mourning the headphone jack. TechCrunch did the same. Um, Craig Mumbarak did a story on mourning the headphone jack. And I'm honestly mourning the headphone jack myself. Do you, are you? Yeah, I, I certainly am. Uh, for me personally, OnePlus was the last hope. My daily driver is a 5T, and one way or the other, I'm going to change it to something else, and I would love to get another uh, OnePlus, but now that there is no headphone jack, I'm not really sure what to look for. It's, well, not, it's not that I use it that much, the headphone jack, but I just like having it, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Well, the, the, on the plus side, ha, pardon the pun, on the plus side, the OnePlus 6 non-T has the headphone jack. And honestly, the difference between these two phones is very minor, especially if you're outside the US because the T-Mobile partnership and the Verizon compatibility doesn't matter to you. Right. And the only thing you lose is a bit of battery life in exchange for two things that I think, three things that I think are better. We discussed this on the show last week with Igor because the OnePlus 6T ended up being our phone of the year. Um, we decided that the headphone jack the notification light and the slightly smaller display, 6.2 inches instead of 6.4 inches, meaning higher pixel density because it's still 1080p, were the three advantages that for many people would, you know, be uh, balanced out by the more battery life on the 6T, right? So, um, so may, I would say if you are for, you know, if you can afford an upgrade or are ready for an upgrade, I would say buy a six, a OnePlus six now because they're really cheap and keep that for another year or two uh, because this, you know, you can get 99% of the 60s experience. The camera software has been retroactively made available on the six. So you get all the advantages of like the night mode that they have and all that good stuff. So I actually think that, frankly, the 6 and 6T are such a huge improvement over the 5 and 5T. Like, they're massively better that you cannot go wrong here, Andre. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And also, I have to say that losing notification light would also suck big time. Yeah. It's, and it's I, such I think, a great thing. I actually don't understand why that went out. I think that I totally understand why the headphone jack went out because if you look at how it's packaged in, inside, if you look at iFixit and the teardowns, it, it's like, um, they the the in in display fingerprint reader and that bigger batteries really took away quite a bit of real estate and now you know they could have still put a headphone jack in there somehow but I think that they they had to make a compromise and that's the compromise they chose to make but the notification light doesn't make any sense to me HTC used to have the notification light embedded in the speaker grill like the ear earpiece grill. Do you remember that? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I and, remember that one. I have no. I mean, LEDs are so tiny; they're literally surface mount components that are one millimeter in size nowadays. They could have put a surface mount LED an, and a tiny little light guide right next to that speaker for the entire little speaker hole to light up. 
Um, I don't know why they didn't do it. That to me has to come back on the next generation product. I don't expect the headphone jack will come back. Yeah. But I think the notification not. light is a really nice thing to have on a phone. Uh, and, you know, even like phones like the $300 Poco phone has a notification light. Uh, come on, guys. <laughs> you you yeah. keep coming back to that Poco phone. <laughs> Dude, the Poco phone is kind of blowing my mind. Uh, there's a lot of things about it I don't like. The software is horrendous because it's Xiaomi and it's skin. It's their, their MIUI or whatever it's called. Um, but, you know, put another launcher on there and you're good to go. Um, the hardware, though, other than being plastic, and it's really good plastic, say high quality plastic, it doesn't feel cheap for plastic, which is surprising. Other than that, you know, everything about that phone is pretty solid. The camera is certainly not as good as even the OnePlus 6 or 6T, but it's not horrible either. It's, it's close and it's up there. And I don't know if you saw the Marquez uh, Brown Lee at MKBHD did a, you know, kind of like put up photos of all the taken with various phones on Twitter and ask people to vote. And the, the Poco phone was like one of the top phones in terms of imaging that people perceived to be good. The reality is it's not that great as a camera, but people perceived it to be good, which is really interesting, you know? Are they good with the computational uh, camera software. I don't think that's it. No, I don't think the pictures are particularly good. If you you should watch that that, that video yeah. by Marquez, it's really worth watching, uh, <laughs> because um, people actually voted the BlackBerry better than the iPhone 10. The, the, the okay, Q2. this is surprising. Like like basically, they didn't know what they were looking at. They were given two pictures on Twitter, and they voted right. And and then Marquez like basically chose it. Basically, it was like a, it was like a, a soccer match, you know, like a, a football <laughs> match, right? Like you two two. Two paired, he paired phones that are very different two, in two pairs. And then there was like eight to start with, you know, or 16 to start with. And he went down to eight, then to four, then to two, then to one, right? That's how he did it. And it's really impressive to see. The, the results are like mind-blowing because none of them match the reality. Like we all know which <laughs> are the better phones for camera. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know, and that's not the end result here at all. But so also, it really shows yeah. you how people... Just when looking at social media, they don't even know the difference, you know? Yeah, but also, I, but also we all know that some cameras are just so inconsistent and they can give you a great result uh, at one point and then in a few hours with a bit of a different light or a different angle or a different uh, scenery, you will just get uh, really crappy images. So consistency is also key and it's really hard to judge consistency if you just look at a pair of photos, right? True. True, but it's interesting. And so, yeah, I'm wearing the headphone jack. I wanted to, you know, you know, basically say that there's nothing I can do, but I'm definitely getting annoyed with dongle life because even though I have a really fantastic pair of Sony Mark III wireless noise canceling headphones, the latest ones from Sony, um, they are amazing. They sound amazing. Noise cancellation is amazing. They're comfortable. The battery life is incredible. 30 hours. It is overall one of the best products of the year for me, but it still doesn't sound as good as my Bear Dynamics plugged into a headphone jack. And that's what I want. And, and I'm still doing that. I'm still listening to my phones with really high end headphones and also in-ear monitors that are wired and that's not going to go away some of my headphones in my collection are 20 years old and sound phenomenal and they're not they're not wireless they're not going to get re reissued as a wireless edition they're wired headphones and right now i need to find a good adapter 
every time I want to listen to a phone. And I have several. My best, the best one I have, honestly, of all the adapters is the one that came with the Razer phone. It's hmm. the best sounding one. The second best sounding one is the, uh, and then these are all digital adapters. They're not analog, obviously. They're, they have a DAC and a headphone amp built into them. My second favorite adapter is the Essential phones. And my third, like, passable, like, I think it's, like, should be the minimum standard and is decent and uh, acceptable to me is the Pixel 3 and Pixel 2 adapter. They're different. The Pixel 3 adapter is a little smaller and has a bit less uh, power consumption. And the Pixel 2 adapter is a little bigger and is a little more thirsty on the battery. But both sound pretty pretty solid as a baseline. And one of the worst adapters I've ever listened to is HTC's adapter. Uh, just to give you some points of reference. Um, so if you want a good headphone adapter, you go to Razer's website, spend the $29 or whatever it is, or $19. It's not expensive. Buy that USB-C to 3.5 millimeter adapter. It's a little bigger than average, but it sounds absolutely phenomenal. On and, try, and try not to lose it somewhere into. in your house within the first three days. It's a little bigger, it. so I think you'll have a harder time <laughs> losing it, but you're absolutely right that the problem with these things is that you end up... It's not so much losing them. I'm pretty good at keeping track of my stuff. The problem is that I don't have it when I need it, right? I left it yeah. at home. I left it in my bag. My bag is not with me today. I left, I'm left. i in the car by myself running an errand. And, you know, some of my cars are older and I like uh, connecting through uh, through 3.5 millimeter instead of Bluetooth. And, and you know, it's not an issue in my Tesla, obviously, but it, like my older Porsche, for example, like I have a really great stereo in that car. It is phenomenal. But I've, you know, basically got a little 3.5 millimeter dogs input on that. And it's the only thing that will sound good. So... Uh, because the, I don't want to listen to cassettes or CDs, which is the other, or <laughs> FM radio, which is the other three options. Um, and they don't let me just, you know, choose my own music. There's no USB ports or anything. So I'm basically stuck with the AUGS input, which is fine. You're going to say, put a good Bluetooth receiver on that. But again, no, like Bluetooth receiver, ah, such a pain, you know, like I just want to have I just want to have a simple solution that I know will work with anything. And that's what I feel like we didn't, the worst part is we didn't have to remove it. We didn't have to lose the headphone jack. No, that's true. And I, I mean, we're, we're not there yet with Bluetooth. One way or the other, we're just not there yet. And there are still issues and they're not going anywhere. No matter how expensive are going to be uh, your devices, you will still get this like short, really annoying pauses coming, coming up every, I don't know, every day, maybe you will hear it once. Maybe even less, but still, it will annoy the hell out of you. At least it does out of me. I agree. Uh, three. Yeah, I think it's like, I feel like my Sonys are excellent, but in very noisy RF environments, like where there's a lot of interference from like, if you're in an airport, like in a public place where a lot of Bluetooth, a lot of Wi-Fi, I every now and then have dropouts. They're not very long. As you said, it happens very rarely, but I've heard it and it drives me nuts. Here's the other problem, and this is just using the regular SPC codec. If I'm using aptX, it's even more likely to drop out because the bandwidth is much higher on aptX, and aptX HD sounds fantastic over wireless. Here's the problem, though, right? My Sony headphones, like a lot of Sony headphones, the only thing I don't like about them 
the the noise the wireless noise cancelling ones the Mark Threes is that they're a little too bass heavy for my liking for my taste. I like my headphones to be super neutral, and they're a little too bass heavy. And I think for a lot of people that works because they like the bass heavy. And also when you're in a loud environment, even with noise cancelling, it's nice to have a little more thumpy bass. But I use the built-in EQ in the Sony app to. I found a curve that works for me that makes the sound headphones sound really natural and really flat. And so. If I want to have that EQ enabled in the Sony headphones, I need to turn off Aptex. There's not enough oh. compute power for it to do the in-headphone in EQ, right? Because that EQ you're adjusting on the Sony app actually adjusts the DSP inside the headphones. So there's not enough processing power in these headphones for the DSP to do in onboard EQ plus Aptex encoding. So I have to pick. Do I want an EQ curve that satisfies my listening and then I have a lesser quality codec and some lossy audio or do I want lossless audio but then I can't adjust the EQ, right? And then the other thing is if I use them wired, um, again, you can use them wired and that bypasses the Bluetooth but the noise cancelling still works which is great. Yeah. I Again, I can't use the EQ when they're wired. I don't know why the EQ doesn't work. Even the built-in EQ That's doesn't kinda work. That's kind of weird though. I think it's because the noise cancelling is a separate chip on this headphone than the actual EQ and Bluetooth chip. So they can enable the noise cancelling without enabling the Bluetooth, which is great because the Bluetooth takes less power when it's turned off. So if you use them wired, your battery life is even better, but you still get noise cancelling. So I think they have uh, the, the, the EQ stuff that's in headphone is done in the Bluetooth chip, or at least in the DSP that's attached to the Bluetooth chip, not in the noise cancelling chip. So it's really frustrating because it's like, I'm talking here about problems that 99% of you are not even going to care about. I know, I'm sorry, but I'm an audiophile. I, I, can't, I can't deal with these kind of, these are the little nitty gritty things that nobody talks about that you have to deal with when you are passionate about sound quality and you're trying to live through this transition of no headphone jack wireless, right? When every headphone is wireless Aptex HD uh, or some other lossless codec and doesn't drop audio every now and then and lets me do EQ uh, on the headphone, assuming you know the headphones are not perfect in the first place, which as I said, those Sonys are close, but not quite. Uh, then I think I'll be able to be happy with wireless. But right now I can't. There's still enough too many too many little things, you know. Yeah, that that just sounds like a, that sounds like a mess. But I guess if you are an audiophile, you kind of have to get used to dealing with stuff like this. I know, but it did used to be so much simpler. You know, I used to just be able to plug headphones into a phone, and if the phone had a decent DAC and amp, I'd be happy as pie. Right. Do you think Bluetooth 5 is going to solve uh, stuff for you? Well, no, because these headphones are Bluetooth 5 compliant and uh, they have Aptex HD. And as I said, the limitations right now is that I can't EQ and do that at the same time. And Bluetooth 5 doesn't seem to improve any term. It reduces latency. I've noticed that when watching TV with the headphones. But it, it doesn't reduce. I mean, they still, it's still subject to interference. Right. So a good prediction for next year would be that there's going to be still a lot of mourning for 3.5 millimeter jacks. 
And I think more and even more phones without headphone jack. As I said, the verdict is up in the air about the Galaxy S10 dropping it or not. If if Samsung was smart, they could capitalize one more year on, yes, we are the only ones left of the big players with a headphone jack. And that would, I think, be a good marketing bullet point for them. Um, they certainly are not going to do it for the money. Um, I think so LG is going to do that. What? I, I would say that LG is going to do that as well. Yeah, I'm hoping that LG and Samsung stay true to their roots. But look, I was hoping OnePlus would stay true to their roots <laughs> and they betrayed us. Yes, so, that is true. Uh, I, I hate to say this, but, you know, that's maybe a heavy word to use, but I feel that way. Like I, I, I did my OnePlus 6T review on Geekspin. I actually said that. I said that I didn't use the word betray, but I said that if I had to choose between the OnePlus 6T and the OnePlus 6 right now, Considering they're identical phones other than battery life, headphone jack, and notification light, I would pick the 6 because you'd get all the advantages of the improved software of the 6T and you would not have, you would lose a little bit of battery life, but it's not really enough of an issue. Um, and so, and then I would, uh, then I would have my headphone jack and my notification light. And honestly, the in display fingerprint reader is slower. It was pretty reliable, but it's slower. And I don't, one slow i want to you know i love having the fingerprint reader on the back of my phone because i reach in my pocket and i touch the fingerprint reader in my pocket on the back of the phone and i pull out the phone and by the time you know it's halfway out my pocket it's unlocked yeah yeah exactly that, that that's what i do as well so yeah you know i sound like an old person get <laughs> off my lawn kids these days with their wi-fi and their bluetooth and their wireless andre <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's that, anyway. that's that's what it is, though. Um, other predictions? Do you, we've done about, talked about headphones, talked about audio. Let's talk about camera predictions because that's a huge part of phones today. So my thoughts are: we're going to see phones with more lenses, more sensors. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the P30 has four cameras in the back instead of three. That they bring back the monochrome, so basically have a telephoto, a normal color high. You know, like large megapixel sensor, uh, like they have today on the Mate 20 Pro and the P20 Pro. Um, and then a wide angle, like they have on the Mate 20 Pro, like ultra wide. And then a monochrome comes back that was that currently only on the P20 Pro. So for now, you have the, the best of everything. Like you can do your, your pure monochrome photography and, and so, that. so that's kind of the thing where Huawei is going to go. Samsung, I think, is going to do. I think they're going to do three. They're going to do like the V40 and the Mate 20 Pro. They're going to do tele, regular, ultra wide. Uh, and because we know the regular is already wide, right? Uh, and then they're going to keep their dual aperture thing going on the regular, I think, because that's like their thing. And that's a pretty impressive feat of engineering, to be honest. I mean, I'm not sure it resulted in particularly better photos when you see what uh, Google is able to do with computational photography. Um, but I, speaking of that, I think that, you know, we're going to see more and more computational stuff happening on even mid, like I think a lot of the computational tricks we're seeing on flagships today are going to migrate to mid-ranges this year because the mid-range chips are going to be finally able to do that. Um, we're going to talk about this in a few minutes, but the MediaTek P90 that was announced recently, for example, is a mid-range chip and it has some really heavy-duty computational photography chops built in. So I think we're heading in that direction uh, and then we're going to see um, some phones like uh, the Nokia with five cameras, some phones maybe with more. Uh, I think that the future is an array of cameras on your phone 
that are very basic in the sense that have really good sensors, really good lenses, but no mechanical moving parts, no autofocus, no OIS, no, no mechanical things, just an array of lenses with sensors behind them, and then a whole shit ton of computational power applied to all these sensors, uh, able to do things like it's vary the angle after the fact, vary the depth of field and focus after the fact, uh, vary all kinds of parameters after the fact. Um, but we need more processing power, and I think we're going to see that with the Snapdragon 855. We're going to see that with uh, maybe a new Kirin chip from Huawei and other stuff, you know? Yeah, we're certainly getting there. I'm pretty sure we're getting there, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, next year we are going to have uh, a much better much better photography, much better shots coming out of our phones, uh, I think is just uh, basically only moving forward. And uh, now we're going to have more great hardware, so camera arrays uh, that you mentioned, and we're going to have better uh, software, and we're going to have a lot of computing power with the new chips. So this is the perfect storm, I think, for mobile photography and f like for people who are enthusiastic about it, and you are, as far as I, as I have seen. <laughs> yeah, I think you are too. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I'm trying my best. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not that uh, big of a fan of uh, my current uh, of my current camera in five T. But uh, generally, I'm very interested. That's true. Yeah, I think the six. If you upgrade to that or six T, is is a huge step forward. Yeah, that's um, one of the reasons for me to think about it. It's uh, really a big improvement. It's really surprising. I mean, I could get some good results out of the One Plus Five and Five T, but. It was kind of meh, whereas this is like, okay, this can hold its own kind of like at the bottom end of the f the flagship tier, you know, um, still run with some of the bigger players. Yeah, and I really like the idea of having the choice between the lenses. So telephoto I think the creative control angle. that gives you is really impressive. Like, I understand that you can do a lot with one lens and one sensor. Uh, obviously, Google has shown that because I still think that if you just want to take random photos quickly and you're like just a not, not a photographer and just not a normal human um, or normal mobile user, as I like to call them, normobs, uh, you're just going to want to mash that button, that shutter button, and the Pixel 3 and Pixel 3 XL are going to be the absolute best bet you have if you want the best the best photos on average uh, by just mashing the button. But if you like, yeah, doing a great job. You, you know, and me, me for sure, but maybe you as well, where you like to wander around and take photos. And like when we were in, uh, in Ukraine together, uh, taking photos on that walk, remember? Like, yep. You know, it's fun. You like, you take photos, you compare things, you try it out. It's fun. And uh, I, I like to do that a lot. So for me, the creative aspects are really important. But I think where we see more computational stuff, um, I'm not sure. Like, I think the other thing we're going to see more of, we're starting to see a little bit of this, is obviously depth sensing in the front camera for, for uh, uh, you know, like time of flight, full full 3d mapping uh for uh for unlocking like for like mm -hmm. face id equivalents that's starting to happen we see that on me mate 20 pro on the on the oppo find x but we're gonna see i think that the same kind of setup in the rear now we're gonna see more um cameras that are capable of capturing metadata beyond the actual image um in the back for you know, refocusing after the fact, like more f accurate, faster autofocus, AI-driven autofocus, that sort of stuff. I think that that a lot of that 
um, additional hardware is just going to be sitting there in the same way as nowadays we have like a flash for assisting with light we have like maybe a laser autofocus module like there'll be all these extra little sensors that are infrared cameras and projectors and things on the back of the phone and the front of the phone the front of the phone i think it's a challenge because again if you want to you know the future is like that bezel-less full screen display so you know if you want a lot of sensors in the front you have to do a notch look at the iphone um but that conflicts with that tendency of like the whole punch 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 hole thing so i think there's a there's a bit of a conflict there there's a bit of a paradox there that needs to be resolved and i think that people are going to opt for basically a, a simpler front camera uh for for aesthetics reasons uh, and we're going to probably see these rear camera being more uh, more fancied up with uh, depth sensing and 3D sensing. That's my call. Yeah, and that's a uh, but that's also a problem that you see kind of solved by the uh, double screen phones, right? You just you don't need your selfie camera anymore because you have a phone a screen on the back, and then your normal camera array becomes your selfie camera. True, it is definitely something that uh, is is an option, but I I. Just not convinced that the dual screen thing is is viable long term. It's expensive. It takes up more real estate, sacrifices battery life, etc. I think I don't know. I think it's interesting, and we're probably going to see more. Um, but uh, let's see. Let's see what happens. I think yeah. I think that um, I think that was an interesting gimmick, but I'm not sure it's going to be a common thing. Do you remember that phone that uh, had a normal screen and then on the other side it had an e-ink screen called Yota Phone? Yeah, I remember the Yota Phone. I have the Yota Phone 2 somewhere in a drawer here. It was an interesting thing, I have to say. I'm really surprised that it never actually went into more mainstream and nobody ever tried to uh, do something similar afterwards. Yeah, kind of I mean... quietly died. I don't know why. It was a very interesting phone. Um, and I like that you could use it and the, at least the second gen, I had both the Yoda Phone 1 and the Yoda Phone 2, that the Yoda Phone 2 actually had a full uh, touchscreen-enabled e-ink in the back, so you could actually use the phone as an e-ink reader without having to install special software because you could run Android on the back screen and the, the, um, the e-paper display. It was a little slow, like you couldn't watch a YouTube video, for example. But you could use it as a viewfinder, you could use it um, to do like um, Kindle app or, you know, to read a website. Um, and then you could, you know, of course, anything you wanted, you could leave on the screen, right? So if you had like a, a map uh, directions on Google Maps, you could leave it on the back of the screen uh, without yeah. having to ever turn on the phone. You could just look at the back of the screen and am I still on track, you know? Yeah, your shopping really cool. list, whatever, it was practical. Correct, yeah. Or boarding pass. That was another good example. Oh, yeah. Boarding pass one, yeah. So, I, I think you're right. That would be cool to see a comeback of that. It doesn't um, seem to be coming back next year, though. But nah, it would be great. I doubt it. People are so invested in color now and OLED yeah. and all that. Yeah, so I'm, we should probably like uh, talk about some of the news items in the, right. in, the, in the podcast now. But I'm wondering if there's anything else that sticks out to you in terms of like technology we're going to see yeah. on phones next year. Obviously, we haven't talked about processor or battery life, mostly because you know what's going to happen. It's going to be a one-trick pony. Snapdragon yeah. 855, <laughs> at least in the West. We're going to see Kirin 990 at the end of next year from 
from Huawei. We're going to see an Exynos chip from Samsung, but I don't think it's going to be very competitive. Last year's wasn't very competitive. And we're going to see the MediaTek P90 in the mid-range. I think it's going to take uh, a lot of phones are going to come out with that chip. It looks very interesting, that chip. Yeah, I that's was a actually, really interesting one. I was in Taiwan. They briefed me on the chip in October, November, whenever it was. And uh, I have to say, like, MediaTek needs to market themselves better. They're doing some really cool stuff. And, uh, and you know, like I look at a phone like the Palm, and I want to mention that uh, for, one, for a reason because it's, it's kind of a good segue to our news items. Um, I look at the phone like the Palm, and the Palm is Snapdragon 435, I think. It's powered by like a mid-range or 450 or something, like a, a not mid-range, lower mid-range chip that's pretty old now. And it's, it's, it's 28 nanometer chip, so it's not very power efficient. Um, imagine you could put a 10 or 12 nanometer chip instead in there uh, and maybe a MediaTek chip instead of uh, like a P60 or even that P90. And it probably would be just as cost effective for Palm. Like they could make a phone that sells for two to $300 um, and retain all the benefits that they have today, but add a lot more performance and more importantly, much better battery life, which is their big issue if you use that phone without their do not disturb mode turned on, which is obviously the, the way they want you to use the phone. But if you turn that off, it's like four hour battery life, you know, oh. <laughs> like four hours, like not, not screen on time. I'm talking about like just having the phone in your hand or in your pocket. But if you turn on the do not disturb mode, it lasts for a day, no problem. So to me, because it's 800 milliamp hour battery, right? Like think yeah. of that for a second. Yeah, that's, so that's good inadequate. I think the second gen phone should have a MediaTek chip instead of a Qualcomm chip. And I know it's a tough, it's a tall, you know, it's a tough sell in the US because Qualcomm obviously has a lot of the, uh, um, you know, is better, is more popular because of supporting Verizon and Sprint better, especially with this legacy CDMA stuff. But I feel like, you know, they should look at it at least for some markets. Um, and I'm bringing that up because, um, you know, I did an, a video, you should check it out. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, I I show you how to change the SIM on that phone. And and it's unlocked from the factory, even if you buy it from Verizon, which is really interesting. A lot of Verizon phones have been unlocked in the past, but in the last year, they started locking their phones again. So the Palm is unlocked from the factory. And if you buy it from Verizon, it's unlocked. But the thing that a lot of people are like, why did you make a video about removing the SIM on this phone? Because, I mean, we all know how to remove a SIM. No, you don't. Because that phone does not have a normal SIM tray, like a normal, like you don't, there's a hole. First of all, the hole is super tiny. You need a, a piece of metal that's 0.5 millimeters in diameter. That's half a millimeter to go in that hole. It's too small for a regular SIM tool. And secondly, you don't push on it. If you try to push on that hole, nothing happens because there's just metal behind it. What you have to do is have a little hook on that piece of metal, that super tiny uh, half a millimeter maybe piece of, uh, of of metal and that you insert in there and then you pull on the tray you don't actually push on it and it took me a while to figure this out and then once i did i was able to verify that the phone works fine on other gsm networks uh like the uh like t-mobile and at&t in the u.s and i'm sure it has probably enough bands to work perfectly fine in the rest of the world in most countries so that was why this i think this video is interesting yeah, that's a, you, that's a really strange one. I also I watched your video, and uh, uh, but first of all, I was actually surprised that uh, the phone doesn't come with a SIM removal tool. Well, no, because it's sold by Verizon exclusively, yeah. and Verizon locks you in. Remember, you have to buy the phone from them for three hundred fifty dollars, and then you can only get the phone if you agree to add a ten dollars a month 
um, second line to your account. Like you have to already have a main line. And then, you know, basically in the US, a lot of the smartwatches and smart devices, you can get an extra line. Right. But you can't start with just one line and you put that phone on there or put a smartwatch on there. Uh, most of the carriers, operators here are basically like you, you get a line from us for your main device, your phone, whatever. And if you want, like for a small extra fee a month, you can get a second SIM for your smartwatch or tablet or whatever. Right. Um, and that's what they're doing with that Palm phone. But that's the only way you can get it. Right. It sounds like a, a really tough sell to me. It's a very tough sell. But, you know, I think the reason Palm did this is because they needed to get the initial investment to be able to make this phone as a basically as a nobody company, right? Like I've worked for, for small startups that do hardware like Pebble. It's so hard to get custom parts made for you. The The Palm has a custom display. It's 3.3 inches, 720p. That's like 445 DPI. It's pretty awesome. Uh, and and for the size and it's I think 18.9 like it's a wider aspect ratio than standard so basically the phone has very little bezel on the sides and just a tiny chin top and bottom so it's actually a really nice display it's IPS but it looks very OLED the blacks are really inky black it's just a great display and I thought because TCL is a manufacturing partner that TCL provided the display right Mm -hmm. But I did a bit of digging around. It looks like it's a custom-made display. I don't know who makes it, but it was not made by TCL. And so they had to get the tooling, all that done. So, you know, they probably had to find some somebody to finance them and help them creating this display, uh, which is probably a, a big investment up front. And so, you know, they partnered with Verizon. They kind of sold their soul to the devil in many ways, right? Yeah and, yeah, yeah, and I think until that exclusive exclusive agreement ends, they're going to be stuck with that, you know? Right. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, we, I guess, in this case, can expect the second gen to be more refined and more adequate to the reality of uh, the market. Totally. And that's kind of why I think this, you know, this kind of ties it back into what we were talking about with the P90. I think uh, the, the, the MediaTek Helio, uh, it it's, will be a good choice of chip, I think, for this phone is, is kind of how I'm seeing it. So anyway, uh, speaking of kind of milestones, Huawei sold, shipped 200 million phones this year. Saw this on Engadget. I'll put it in the show notes. That's a lot of phones, isn't it? It is. It's. Uh, I didn't really follow that closely uh, what they've been doing over the year, but the number is just huge. I mean, they are number two pretty much right now. Uh, you know, they're, they're in the top three for sure. And they're probably in the top two and that changes all the time. But like, you know, this, this kerfuffle with the U S regime that we have today, which is terrible is, is, uh, not really hurting their business, which I, not at all. <laughs> I think it's uh, very interesting. And that's why I wanted to put it out. I mean, you can't ignore this kind of news. You have to be attentive to it. Um, I want to th get your thoughts. We were talking about headphone jacks before, and we talked a bit wire about wireless headphones. I, I told you folks about my Sony Mark III, which I think are phenomenal. Um, and of course, I've been testing other earbuds uh, and headphones uh, over the last year. And the most recent one is the Zolo Liberty Plus. You can watch my unboxing video. I'll put the, the link in the show notes. That is a, a very... Um, it's kind of trying to be an AirPod, by f but failing like a lot of the AirPod, you know, copycats. And I'm not talking about aesthetically copying the AirPods. I'm talking about making completely independent, unwired, wireless 
earbuds. Basically, earbuds are two separate pieces you put in your ear, not that are attached by a little cord that goes behind your neck, which is why a lot of the wireless Bluetooth headphones are uh, earbuds are like. So my take on the Zola Liberty Plus is that they sound kind of meh, but everything else about it was pretty good. Like they paired easily, they kept in sync, they had pretty good imaging, which means that they had pretty good timing in terms of sending the signal to both uh, earbuds simultaneously, and they had uh, good battery life, and uh, generally pretty good. They're also noise cancelling. Other than the sound quality, the sound quality was a big letdown. Uh, I have a pair of Sony uh, wireless earbuds that are very similar, that two individual earbuds that are completely wireless and separate from each other, and they sound better, but they are not as good in terms of um, ease of pairing and or noise cancelling. So, I don't think anybody, and this is again, Andre, I want your thoughts on this. Like, how is it possible that nobody's done something as good as AirPods yet? It's been two years, more than two years, I think, since the AirPods were launched. It's It kind of blows my mind. I know that Xiaomi makes a set and Huawei makes a set that is supposedly really great, but I haven't seen a product that I can buy here in the, in the US, at least easily, that can compete at all with the AirPods. Yeah, this is really strange. I, I do agree. Like I myself use just uh, normal earbuds with a wire between them, but uh, I do look at the, these uh, true wireless, whatever it's called, uh, the standard now uh, earbuds. And I don't know, maybe not everybody is uh, convinced. And uh, by everybody, I mean the vendors and manufacturers. Maybe they're not convinced yet that there is such a market for that. Because I mean, maybe it might be it might be laziness, but it seems to me that most of them are still kind of falling for uh, producing the normal earbuds and not really caring that much about the uh, supposed high-end uh, true wireless stuff. I mean, yeah, I can see that, but the the, the Zolo Liberty Plus that I that played with, they're one hundred forty dollars. I mean, they're not. They're not. They're about the same price as a pair of AirPods. They're you know um, they use the true wireless Qualcomm. Uh, actually, no, they use the MediaTek version of mm -hmm. that. But they use basically some sort of true wireless system. And so you know what I'm saying is like I, I'm just surprised. Like I like in before anybody chimes up, you know, and tweets at me. Like I know that Apple has a W1 chip and it's a custom solution that works best with iPhones. But even if you use AirPods with just an Android phone. They are solid. They work well. They sync properly. Everything is, and the wireless performance is really good. So I don't think it's just the W1 chip here. Now, granted, the AirPods don't have noise canceling, and in my opinion, don't sound that good. But the convenience and the lightweight and the design is what's really impressive about the AirPods. They are so small, so light. Yeah. Um, that that's so, why Zola looks them. pretty big. It's, it's very big. And, and, you know, the AirPods are super popular here in the U.S. Like, everyone has them, even like though they're still pretty pricey. So all this came up because uh, my good friend Evan Spence at, um, at Forbes wrote a story about Nokia just released true wireless earbuds. Um, and they look really cool because the, the charging case looks like one of those old Nokia chargers cylinders. From back in the day, you know, the uh, battery pack, whatever you want to call it, yeah. uh, Nokia USB-based um, auxiliary battery. And and the, so they look like these old packs, and then you put the earbuds in it, and the earbuds look like tiny, like the bullet wireless from um, from OnePlus. 
the wired ones, but without the wire. They're really quite small. So that's kind of why that, that kind of got my interest because I'm like, now I'm wondering if I can get a, some of these to try out because they look uh, pretty small and maybe they're the first ones that are kind of half decent, you know? Yeah, th- th- those looks b- look pretty good. Did they announce the price tag? I uh, didn't read the... Well, it's been a while since I read the article. Let me have yeah, a I don't think I, so. I don't think so. I think these are just... Uh... But anyway, I'm sure they're less... Than, they they got to be competitive with the iPod, uh, AirPods. So, you know... Um, so it'll, it'll be really interesting to see. Uh, yeah, but, I'm gonna try but, uh, to get... they look they look so much less bulky if you compare yeah, it to exactly. The I'm gonna try Plus. to get myself a pair. Um, and then I don't remember if you followed when you were still at Engadget that Intel Volt smart glasses. They made these smart glasses. They were really small and light, and basically just had a little monochrome laser display that would draw on your retina directly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and those kind of like where Verge got the, 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 you know, the kind of, um, exclusive coverage on them initially, and then everybody else got to play with them. And it looked like Intel was gonna, you know, not sell this as a product because Intel doesn't make products, but basically partner with someone to make this happen. And then they decided, they announced that they were dropping it, that they were abandoning the project. And so we were all devastated. Um, the Verge wrote a story a couple, a few days ago that a company called North, um, is going to take over this project. Uh, they acquire the patents from Intel. So expect to see these glasses come to life as a product at some point soon. I think this is very, very exciting. Yeah, that's really interesting. So yeah, as far as I understand, they're basically in North uh, is going to get all the Vaunt uh, IP and uh, integrate it in their own product. And uh, unlike uh, the initial Vaunt, it's going to be color, right? So it's going to be actual actual image in actual color pr- uh, projected onto your retina. Exactly. It sounds amazing. And recently, actually, I got a chance to play for maybe like 10 or 15 minutes with uh, HoloLens and Magic Leap. And oh, yeah, ha- me too. And I have to say that I was a little bit underwhelmed. I mean, I, I knew that HoloLens is not a, a great, uh, uh, no, not the best AR experience uh, ever there has been. And I knew that Magic Leap was supposed to be so much uh, better than HoloLens. And then, I don't know, to me, it felt more incremental than I expected. And uh, the field of view is still pretty narrow. So, I mean, I see where we're going, but I also can say that at this particular point, AR is pretty far from where some people would like to uh, would like to tell us yeah i think you're better you're gonna have a better ar experience on your phone right now honestly um so so you you also try magic leap did you think magic leap was better than hololens because i've tried both and i have my opinion there I think uh, I think that it is better. I think the field of view is uh, better, and also it's not as big, and it doesn't uh, feel as unwieldy. That's, uh, I, that's my I, take. It's exactly my my take. It, definitely a better field of view. Definitely lighter and and smaller, and also felt that the um, the, the the objects felt more glued to the world. Like right, right. Magically, right. really did a very good job at being able to like superimpose you know virtual stuff on top of the real world um and keep it there no jitter mind you it's been a few years since i used the hololens and i'm sure it's improved drastically but and magically by just using the last month so 
obviously, you know, you gotta, I haven't used the Hollands recently, but when I used Hollands back in the, it was very good in terms of um, keeping the virtual world on top of the real world, but it still had some jitter. Every now and then you could see things kind of like do a little dance and uh, it kind of killed the, the experience a little bit. Anyway, yeah. so I want to ask you before we wrap up, um, what is the thing, since we're talking about the future of next year, 2019 future phones, what is the one thing that you're the most excited about? Like, not, not thing technology-wise, but if there's a phone right now that has been kind of started to leak, which one is the one that has your most excitement, interest, attention? That's a good question. Just a sec, before, before I go into this, I just checked my notes and I saw that I forgot one big thing that I wanted to mention. And okay. uh, since, since we're talking, I mean, we're talking about tech, but uh, one of the predictions that I was thinking about in advance of this conversation, it has l less to do with the actual hardware tech, but maybe more to do with software tech. But what I saw recently and what I do think we're going to see more of next year is that there's going to be more good web-based apps rather than native apps. I'm talking about Android right now, but I went to a conference uh, called Slush in uh, Finland in Helsinki. Oh yeah, Slush, yeah, uh, that's some a weeks ago. It's a great one. And, uh, I, and this was the first time uh, where I saw an actual web app that is exactly like a native app. It's, wow. a, it's like, is this uh, one of these uh, progressive web apps, that's the Google terminology, uh, that can be actually put on your home screen. You can just run it from your home screen. It is wow. totally web-based. It just caches some stuff. It can work offline and you don't see the difference. And then I talked to a few people around and everybody says that basically the the opportunities for this are getting bigger and bigger and the possibilities and what you can do uh, with uh, just uh, web-based apps uh, are getting wider and wider. And it seems to me that at some point, I don't think the app stores will just die down or whatever, but we are definitely going to see more of web-based apps that would just jump at us from our browsers and... Uh, just uh, basically with a with a with a suggesting that you put them on your uh, home screen and run it from there and uh, mind you when you run uh, this app from your home screen you don't even see the url bar it's just an app wow impressive impressive yeah i mean look i've always thought that n web apps would be the the future but it never really came to be like webos was a good example of that right and um, and I think there's some merit in that. I think that uh, if you can have a similar experience using web apps, it's so much easier to develop, um, maybe. I mean, I'm not a web developer, so I don't know. But I would assume that it's probably easier to develop than native app. And then the other thing is, you know, it was always an issue of, like, the horsepower you needed to run the web app versus native app. And I think that's going away because the processors are so fast now. We're kind of getting at that point. Remember like five, 10, more than 10 years ago now, but maybe 10, 15 years ago when laptops all were good enough. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like you, it didn't matter what you threw, unless you played video games or something. It didn't matter what you threw at a computer and it could manage it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're kind of getting there with smartphones too, you know? It, yeah, it, it does seem so. It does seem so. And uh, getting back to the question that you asked, I'm still, uh, I was thinking uh, today about uh, things that I really liked, uh, like leaking uh, over the past few years that never made it anywhere. Do you remember the idea of the Ubuntu phone? The one that ah, was yeah. supposed to power your desktop? Uh, 
just yeah. by being there. I mean, if if we got something similar to that, that would be amazing and I would be totally up for trying it. And I think that this is something we could get close to just thanks to ARM uh, processors being everywhere and uh, having all this uh, sort of uh, convergence uh, with uh, Chrome OS devices and uh, just smaller ARM-based devices and Windows going on ARM and stuff like that. So maybe somewhere in there we could have still that same concept that was uh, on the basis of the Ubuntu phone all these years ago. Yeah, I think I'm excited about, um, you know, uh, computers running ARM chips and using our phones as a main computer by docking it. I think all this is something that we should definitely keep an eye out of for. I just got a Lenovo Yoga C630, which is their uh, Snapdragon 850-based um, laptop running Windows 10. And honestly, it's really impressive, the performance. I mean, it feels a little slower, but not that bad. It's perfectly usable. I don't get frustrated. And of course, always on, always connected, LT connectivity anywhere, anytime, and really great battery life. So there's a lot to be said there for sure. Yeah, this is such a difference uh, from uh, from what we have right now. Even if we talk about the newer Apple's uh, laptops and the uh, Microsoft uh, uh, laptops, can they still be called laptops? They're like they're more like tablets with small keyboards attached to them. But still, you know yeah. what I mean. Absolutely. Well, listen, we should wrap it up. Uh, Andre, will you tell people where they can find you on the internet? Your Twitter, Instagram, the website, etc. Absolutely. So as uh, I said uh, at the beginning, I'm writing for tech.eu. So most of my writing output is there. So it's just tech.eu. We cover all everything that is about uh, the European startup ecosystem uh, uh, from technology to uh, funding rounds uh, to everything else. As for myself, my Twitter handle is uh, at uh, a Degler. So my the first letter of my first name and then my last name. Uh, same thing on uh, Instagram. Uh, find me, tweet at me, and let's talk. Thank you so much for having me today, Miriam. It's uh, just amazing. I really like talking to you. Yeah, no, thanks for being on the show. Um, you guys know everybody, the folks listening, where to find me. I'm at Tankerl on Twitter. That's T-N-K-G-R-L, like the comic book character, but you drop the vowels. That's also my handle on Instagram. And you know there is a complimentary YouTube channel to this podcast, uh, the Mobile Tech Podcast channel. Uh, it's um, youtube.com slash Miriam Joar, my full name spelled out, Miriam with a Y. And you'll find unboxing, hands-ons, uh, whatever I can get my, you know, uh, that I find interesting, I'll put up on there. Now, sometimes I even do reviews, but those are more covered on the actual podcast itself um so you know don't forget to uh, subscribe to that youtube channel like the videos tell your friends and more importantly if you happen to just be listening to this show for the first time uh this podcast for the first time do subscribe to the podcast mobiletechpodcast.com is the url uh, on google podcast apple podcast pocket cast overcast tune in radio pretty much everywhere you can find the show so i hope you subscribe and tell your friends Finally, before we go, Andre, I want to thank our sponsor, uh, Audible. Audible.com is where it's at if you want to listen to books instead of read them. Uh, it's a great platform for audiobooks. 
There is a link in the show notes below that you can click through to get 30 days free trial and at the same time support the podcast. So if you're not with Audible yet and you've been thinking about joining because you want to listen to books or you can't read books because maybe you're uh, driving at the time you want to read so that doesn't work very well so you can listen to them instead, I suggest you click through uh, through the uh, show notes link. Uh, uh, it's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. So support the podcast, click through, join Audible. You don't have to stay. You don't have to uh, pay anything. You get 30 days free. Uh, thanks again, Andre, for being on the show. It was really awesome to have you on, especially between Christmas and New Year's like this. Thanks for having me. Uh, enjoyed the end of the year. I will. Uh, happy holidays to you and to everyone else listening. Uh, I'll have a show before CS with a special guest, so stay tuned for a show next week. Cheers, everybody. See you around. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.